My name is Dr. Tram Jones, and since 2019, my wife and I have been living in Haiti. This is the story of our life there and the patients we've seen. Haiti has a proud history. It was the first black nation to gain independence from a European power. It is the only nation born from a slave revolt in human history. And yet, despite this history, racial divisions are alive and well in Haiti. During one of my first lessons with my Creole teacher in Haiti, we were going over words that I had seen but didn't understand. After going over a few benign terms I had encountered in conversation, we came upon the word grimel. He sighed. Ah, he told me, we need to spend some time on this. He proceeded to explain to me the hierarchy of race in Haiti. I was completely naive to this issue. I assumed, and and this was clearly wrong of me, that given that the nation of Haiti was primarily black, that there would be no divisions along racial lines. That despite whatever economic challenges the nation faced, it was a sort of utopia without racial prejudice. However, that would turn out to be false. My teacher explained to me that in Haiti, there were words for the entire spectrum of skin shades from black to white. He explained that the first classification was noir, which is the darkest skin. Then one shade lighter is clay. A little paler is then rouge. Following this is grimaud for a man or grimel for a female. Then there is milat and finally blanc. I was surprised. In the United States, race is often talked of in arbitrary binary terms, black or white. So I asked if these were offensive terms. My teacher explained to me that this was a complicated subject. There were times when these words were simply used as descriptors, in the same sense that I would describe someone as red-headed with long hair. That was the neutral or acceptable use of these terms. Perhaps it could be construed as progressive, recognizing the diversity of humanity that cannot be fully described simply by black or white. But he told me that there was also a much more sinister use of these words, as maybe we might expect. While not always true, those of lighter skin were often treated better, particularly by police and politicians. Why is Haiti like this? Why would a country of predominantly black citizens have a racial hierarchy, echoing the racial issues that are faced in America? As so often, it comes down to history. Let's delve into that. Let us remember that Haiti was a French colony from the year 1659 onwards. The primary reason that France wanted the island in the first place was to grow crops, primarily sugarcane, indigo, and coffee, and therefore gain wealth for metropolitan France. Natives were initially used as slaves to farm the fields, but after they universally died out from smallpox and overwork, the French began to import slaves from Africa. Soon, the colony had imported enough slaves that there was a 10 to 1 ratio of slaves to free people. Now, despite this terrible history, for the first 100 years of the colony, Haiti was probably more racially progressive than the British, and I suppose that's a very low bar, but they allowed any slave who could buy their freedom to do so, and once they were free, they had all the rights of a French citizen, even if they were black. Many created plantations of their own, complete with slaves. There was still implicit social discrimination against free, dark-skinned people, but it was not codified into the law. While most of the whites on Haiti wanted to make their money and then return to France, most of the freed slaves wanted to stay in Haiti. Given this dedication, gradually, they gained power and money. On the island of Haiti at this time, there were rich white people, often referred to as the big whites, poor white people, referred to as the little whites, free people of color, and slaves. 
those four groups, there was tension between all of them. An exchange of sorts began to happen between the poor white people and the wealthy people of color. The little whites would often marry into the richer families of free colored people. It was viewed as beneficial for both sides. The families of the people of color became whiter and thus gained social status, while the poor whites stepped into a far better financial situation. But France became concerned as the island's families of color gained increasing power and wealth. They worried that given their desire to stay in Haiti, unlike the whites, they would one day desire independence from France. Thus, around 1760, racial laws started to pop up in Haiti, restricting the rights of colored people. People of color were prohibited from practicing medicine and law. Then, free colored people were prohibited from dressing like Europeans and being addressed as monsieur or madame. The colonial administration was required to keep track of who was black and who was white. Finally, right before the revolution in Haiti, a man named Moreau de Saint-Marie published a book which created a complex system of classification on ethnicity. It named 128 different classifications of race, depending on the number of black or white ancestors. These included such terms as a quadroon, that's someone who has one black and three white grandparents, as well as other terms that endure to today, such as the racist term mulatto, which is any of 12 different combinations that would result in half-black and half-white ancestry. It went all the way to one in 128 parts black. The whiter a person was, the more prestige and privileges they were to be accorded by society. It's not hard to draw a direct line from these racist policies in Haiti today. The gradations of color from noir to mulat sound very similar to those drawn up by Saint-Marie. However, one might say, the French created the system 200 years ago. Haiti has been independent since 1804. How has this persisted? Remember we mentioned that many free-colored families were wealthy, increasingly marrying into white families and likely to stay in Haiti. After the Haitian Revolution, who do you think had the power in Haiti? I'll give you a hint. It certainly was not the recently freed and chronically oppressed black former slaves. They could not read or write, and they had no money. The lighter-skinned, free-colored families with their wealth, plantations, and education moved into the void left by the French. They moved to cities and held tight to power. For the next 200-odd years, they remained the elite of Haiti, working craftily to hold back the power of the vast population of dark-skinned Haitians. To retain control, lighter-skinned elites had the habit of picking darker-skinned puppet leaders that they could control. They comfortably sat back as the power behind the power. In fact, part of the reason that the previous dictator Papa Doc was first elected was that he played on the pent-up anger of the darker-skinned Haitians. He was one of the first leaders to try to break from control of light-skinned elites. And this may feel like an offshoot, but one should not discuss race in Haiti without mentioning the Syrian community. To add to this mix, in the 1900s, immigrants from Lebanon and Syria moved to Haiti. They were industrious, building up grocery stores and import-export businesses. Slowly, they became more and more wealthy. Their sons and daughters married within the Arab community, but as generation after generation grew up in the country, they learned Creole and considered themselves Haitian. The tension between black Haitians and Syrian Haitians is intense. Haitians, as a people, given their history, are naturally more wary of outsiders. And so, despite decades of citizenship, many Haitians still view the Syrian Haitians as outsiders. Haitians are suspicious of how they have gained their wealth. While the Syrians have gained political power, 
due to their increasing economic prosperity, they are frequently the victims of racism. They can often serve as a scapegoat for the problems in the country. I'm speaking in broad strokes here. Concepts such as racism are rarely so cut and dry. In today's Haiti, there are certainly cases of wealthy black people and poor people with lighter skin. But even if there are exceptions, the feelings and sentiments remain. It is the reason that my Creole teacher taught me the common verb duco, meaning to lighten the skin. A friend might tell me that someone is grimel, but labdecu. That is, they use methods to make themselves appear different. It is not at all uncommon for people to use creams or even medicine to become whiter, to gain power in the eyes of others. And when I mention certain wealthy areas in Port-au-Prince, people will remark to me, oh, that's where they dye their skin white. If you talk to most Haitians, they don't like this aspect of society, perhaps in the same way that many Americans hate that racism is a part of our society. And certainly, not every Haitian treats people differently based on the color of their skin. I have had many of my Haitian friends tell me that they believe that Haiti cannot build itself up again until all the different segments of society, and that includes people of all shades and colors, are able to work together. But racism persists enough and is built into the social fabric enough that one needs to recognize it and call it out. Even if the French system fell apart more than 200 years ago, it has echoed down through history all the way to the present day. Thank you for listening. Every Wednesday morning, we publish a new narrative from life here. We are simply telling stories as we've seen them in Haiti. But Haiti is a fascinating country with a rich history, and there are many Haitian voices that can tell the story of Haiti in all its facets, and we encourage you to seek them out. As we made this episode, some names may have been changed to protect confidentiality. If you enjoyed the show, tell your friends or give us a rating wherever you find your podcasts. To learn more about the work of Light from Light in Haiti or to get involved, visit us on the web at lightfromlight.me. Thank you and God bless.